Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OrthoBullets podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of history and physical exam of the knee found under the knee and sports section at orthobullets.com. Let's begin with a general overview about the knee exam. In the case of an ACL injury, a patient's history will typically involve a non-contact injury. The patient may describe that they landed awkwardly. They may describe that they felt a pop, and there may be immediate swelling. On exam, one may note a positive Lockman test, as well as a pivot shift test, and a large hemarthrosis. In the case of a PCL injury, a history may involve a stuck dashboard, falling with a plantar flexed foot, and posterior knee pain. On exam, one may note posterior sag sign, a posterior drawer at 90 degrees of flexion, and an active quad test may be positive. In the case of an MCL injury, the patient's history may involve a blow to the outside of the knee and medial pain. One may note on exam valgus instability. In the case of an LCL injury, a patient's history may involve a varus injury and lateral pain, and there may be varus instability on exam. In the case of a PLC injury, the patient's history may involve lateral and posterior pain, and this is usually combined with other ligament injuries. On exam, one may note a positive dial test at 30 degrees of flexion. In the case of a meniscus injury, The patient's history may involve mechanical symptoms such as catching and locking. There may be pain at the joint line and delayed swelling. On exam, one may note joint line tenderness and a positive McMurray test. In the case of a patellar dislocation, a patient's history may involve a fall with a dorsiflexed foot. The patient may feel two pops. There may be swelling, anterior pain, and pain with stairs. On exam, one may note patellar apprehension, tenderness over the MPFL, and effusion patellar crepitus, pain with active compression test, and an increase in the Q angle. Now let's discuss the history and physical exam of the knee in more detail, beginning with inspection. Skin exam may demonstrate scars, trauma, or erythema. Also note any swelling and any muscle atrophy. Remember that the normal quadriceps circumference is 10 centimeters for the VMO and about 15 centimeters for the whole quadriceps. Note any asymmetry and also pay attention to gait in particular any antalgia, stride length, and muscle weakness, and also note standing limb alignment, which may be neutral, varus, or valgus. On palpation, note any joint line tenderness, tenderness over soft tissue structures, such as the pes anserine bursa, the patellar tendon, and the iliotibial band. Note any points of maximal tenderness, and also note any effusions, which may be demonstrated by patella balloting and milking. On range of motion, make sure that the patient is supine. Test active and passive range of motion. The normal range of flexion and extension is about 10 degrees of extension or recurvatum to 130 degrees of flexion. Also evaluate rotation. Remember that rotation varies with flexion. In full extension, there is minimal rotation. At 90 degrees of flexion, external rotation is about 45 degrees and there is about 30 degrees of internal rotation. Next, evaluate abduction and adduction. In full extension, this is essentially zero degrees. At 30 degrees of flexion, there are a few degrees of passive motion possible. Next is the neurovascular exam. On sensory exam, evaluate sensation to the medial thigh, which is innervated by the obturator nerve, the anterior thigh, which is innervated by the femoral nerve, the posterior lateral calf, which is innervated by the sciatic nerve, the dorsal foot, which is innervated by the perineal nerve, and the plantar foot, which is innervated by the tibial nerve. On motor exam, evaluate thigh adduction, which is controlled by the obturator nerve, 
knee extension, which is controlled by the femoral nerve, knee flexion, which is controlled by the sciatic, toe extension, which is controlled by the perineal nerve, and toe flexion, which is controlled by the tibial nerve. On vascular exam, evaluate the pulse of the popliteal, dorsalis pedis, and posterior tibial arteries. Also remember that for ankle brachial index, an ABI of less than 0.9 is considered abnormal. Now let's discuss ACL injury in more detail. This may typically present with a large hemarthrosis, and the patient may walk with a quadriceps avoidance gait, which means that they do not actively extend the knee. A Lachman's test is very helpful in evaluation, as this is the most sensitive exam. In terms of the grading, remember that an A refers to a firm endpoint, and a B refers to no endpoint. A grade 1 refers to less than 5 millimeters of translation. Grade 2A or 2B means that there is 5 to 10 millimeters of translation, and grade 3A or B means that there is more than 10 millimeters of translation. Also remember that a PCL tear may give a false Lachman due to posterior subluxation. A pivot shift test may also be performed. Remember that as the knee goes from extension to flexion, it will reduce at about 20 to 30 degrees of flexion. However, in order to perform this test, the patient must be completely relaxed, so it is easier to elicit under anesthesia, and this mimics the actual giving way event. A KT-1000 is useful to quantify anterior laxity. It is measured with the knee in slight flexion and 10 to 30 degrees of external rotation. Now let's discuss PCL injuries. For the posterior sag sign, the patient lies supine with the hips and knees flexed to 90 degrees. The examiner then supports the ankles and observes for a posterior shift of the tibia as compared to the uninvolved knee. For the posterior drawer, the patient has their knees at 90 degrees of flexion, and a posteriorly directed force is applied to the proximal tibia and posterior tibial translation is quantified. Remember that the medial tibial plateau of a normal knee at rest is about 1 cm anterior to the medial femoral condyle. Also remember that this is the most accurate maneuver for diagnosing PCL injury. For the quadriceps active test, the patient will attempt to extend a knee flexed at 90 degrees in order to elicit quadriceps contraction. This test is positive if there is anterior reduction of the tibia, which occurs relative to the femur. Now let's discuss MCL injuries. Remember that in the case of valgus instability, the medial aspect of the knee will open up on exam. If this occurs at 30 degrees of flexion only, then there is an isolated MCL injury. However, if this occurs at 0 and 30 degrees, then there may be a combined MCL and ACL or PCL injury. In terms of the grading, grade 1 refers to 0 to 5 millimeters of opening, grade 2 refers to 6 to 10 millimeters of opening, and grade 3 refers to 11 to 15 millimeters of opening. One can also perform an anterior drawer with the tibia in external rotation. This is because grade 3 MCL tears are often associated with ACL and posterior medial corner tears. Remember that a positive test will indicate associated ligamentous injury. Now let's discuss LCL injuries. Remember that in this case, varus instability will be seen as lateral opening of the knee on exam. If this occurs at 30 degrees only, then there is an isolated LCL injury. However, if it occurs at 0 and 30 degrees, then there may be a combined LCL and ACL or PCL injury. Also remember that if there is varus opening and increased external tibial rotatory instability at 30 degrees of flexion, then this may imply a combined LCL and PLC corner injury. Now let's discuss PLC injuries. On gait exam, there may be a varus thrust or a hyperextension thrust. On varus stress test, if there is varus laxity at 0 degrees of flexion, 
then this may indicate both an LCL and a cruciate injury. If there is varus laxity at 30 degrees of flexion only, then this indicates an isolated LCL injury. On dial test, if there is more than 10 degrees of external rotation asymmetry at 30 degrees of flexion only, then this is consistent with an isolated PLC injury. If there is greater than 10 degrees of external rotation asymmetry at both 30 degrees and 90 degrees of flexion, then this is consistent with a PLC and a PCL injury. One can also perform a posterior lateral jaw test. This is performed with the hip flexed at 45 degrees, the knee flexed at 80 degrees, and the foot externally rotated at 15 degrees. Then, a combined posterior jaw and external rotation force is applied to the knee to assess for an increase in posterior lateral translation. Remember that the lateral tibia externally rotates relative to the lateral femoral condyle during this test. One may also perform a reverse pivot shift test. This occurs with the knee positioned at 90 degrees of flexion and then an external rotation and valgus force is applied to the tibia. As the knee is extended, the tibia reduces with a palpable clunk. This test is positive if the tibia reduces from a posterior subluxed position at about 20 degrees of flexion to a reduced position in full extension. This is because there is a reduction force from the IT band which is transitioning from a flexor to an extensor of the knee. One can also perform an external rotation recurvatum test. This is positive when the leg falls into external rotation and recurvatum when the lower extremity is suspended by the toes in a supine patient. And lastly, one should also evaluate for a perineal nerve injury. Remember that this may present with altered sensation to the foot dorsum and a weak ankle dorsiflexion. Now let's discuss meniscus injuries. These may present with joint line tenderness, an effusion, and a positive McMurray's test. In order to perform this, one should flex the knee and place a hand on the medial side of the knee and then externally rotate the leg and bring the knee into extension. One may note a palpable pop or click, which is a positive test and can correlate with the medial meniscus tear. Lastly, let's discuss patellar pathology. One may note a large hemarthrosis and remember that an absence of swelling supports ligamentous laxity and habitual dislocation mechanisms. One may note medial-sided tenderness, especially over the MPFL. There may be an increase in passive patellar translation. Remember that this is measured in quadrants of translation, with the midline of the patella being considered zero, and this should be compared to the contralateral side. Normal motion is less than two quadrants of patellar translation, and lateral translation of the medial border of the patella to the lateral edge of the trochlear groove is considered two quadrants and is an abnormal amount of translation. One may also note patellar apprehension, an increased Q angle, and a J sign. Remember that this refers to excessive lateral translation and extension, which pops into the groove as the patella engages the trochlea early in flexion, and this is associated with patella alta. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to history and physical exam of the knee, Let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 20-year-old college running back sustains a knee injury after being tackled from the medial aspect of his right knee. On exam, he has a knee effusion and tenderness laterally. He has a 1A Lockman and a normal posterior jaw test. He has symmetric rotation with his knee flexed at 90 degrees, but 20 degrees of increased external rotation with his knee flexed to 30 degrees. Which of the following choices is the most appropriate surgical treatment? And the answer choices are, choice one, ACL reconstruction with bone tendon bone autograft. Choice two, combined ACL and posterior lateral corner reconstruction. Choice three, PCL reconstruction. 
Choice 4, posterior lateral corner reconstruction. Or choice 5, combined PCL and posterior lateral corner reconstruction. The best answer to this question is choice 4, posterior lateral corner reconstruction. This clinical scenario describes an isolated posterior lateral corner or PLC injury, and this can be an indication for posterior lateral corner repair or reconstruction. A positive dial test demonstrating increased external rotation at 30 degrees but not at 90 degrees is consistent with an isolated PL corner injury. The patient's Lockman's exam to test the ACL is normal with a grade 1A. The normal posterior drawer and dial at 90 degrees effectively rules out a PCL injury. For a PL corner injury in a high-level athlete, PL corner repair or reconstruction would be the suggested treatment. The publication by Veltri et al. discussed the treatment of isolated and combined PCL injuries. They support non-operative treatment for isolated acute and chronic PCL tears with less than 10 millimeters of posterior laxity. PCL injuries with greater than 10 millimeters of posterior laxity and those with combined ligamentous injuries should be reconstructed. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. This would be indicated for ACL tear and would have positive Lockman's and anterior jaw signs. Choice 2. This would be indicated for combined ACL and PLC injuries. Choice 3. This would be indicated for PCL tear and it would have a positive posterior jaw and increased leg external rotation test at 90 degrees. Choice 5. This would be indicated for combined PCL and PLC injuries. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A patient presents with a T2-weighted sagittal MRI that demonstrates bone bruising in the mid-portion of the lateral femoral condyle and the posterior aspect of the lateral tibial plateau. Which of the following physical exam findings is most likely present? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Valgus laxity at 30 degrees of knee flexion. Choice 2. Varus laxity at 30 degrees of knee flexion. Choice 3. Posterior drawer. Choice 4. Pivot shift. Or choice 5. Patellar apprehension. The best answer to this question is choice 4. Pivot shift. A T2-weighted sagittal MRI scan which demonstrates classic bone bruising pattern seen with anterior cruciate ligament tear may demonstrate a pivot shift on exam. These lesions are thought to represent subcortical trabecular hemorrhages and are manifested as an increase in signal intensity on T2-weighted images and diminished signal intensity on T1-weighted images. They are classically located in the mid-portion of the lateral femoral condyle and posterior aspect of the lateral tibial plateau. This is due to the fact that an ACL tear typically is the result of a valgus external rotation of the femur on a fixed tibia. This places most of the weight-bearing stress on the lateral femoral condyle, which rotates laterally and impacts the posterior lip of the lateral tibial plateau. This may result in an impaction fracture if the force is great enough, but more frequently it causes merely a microfracture of the involved subcortical trabecula. That's all for this review about history and physical exam of the knee. We hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session from OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on orthobullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the OrthoBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the OrthoBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating 
and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the Ortho Bullets podcast. <laughs> <laughs>